This Monday, June 1st, protesters gathered outside the White House to lament the murder of George Floyd and to shed light on the deep, unaddressed wounds being caused by police brutality in America. Later that night, they were hit with flashbang explosions and doused with tear gas by police and National Guard units so President Trump could pose for a picture in front of St. John's Episcopal Church. Anyone paying attention to Donald Trump knows his actions don't embody the values of Christian faith. And we know there are churches partnering with their communities for social and racial justice in every state. But even so, watching the president hold his Bible upside down for cameras to inflame his base, many of whom are white evangelical Christians, was a sobering reminder how religion has been used to deny reality and silence experiences that don't fit neatly in the margins of a certain worldview. The sin of racism is a white people problem. It's not enough for white people to say, we're not racist. We need to be proactively anti-racist. It's also systemic, which is why the book of Ephesians reminds us our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this world, which is the Apostle Paul's way of saying, it's about fighting power and occasionally tearing down what's broken to build something new. Which brings us to Noah, a myth about creation falling back down on itself to be uncreated. When the floodgates are released, there's destruction for God's enemies, but a new beginning for his people. Ancient Israelites reading about Noah lived in the shadow of a divided monarchy and then exiled to Babylon. They were looking for a redeemer to free them physically. Instead, God would eventually send a savior who said, you're not of this world, who said, you're part of a different kingdom. And even in your occupation, even though you're strangers and pilgrims for a time, hold on to God's promises. But in the hundreds of years of waiting for that gospel story to unfold, they held on to this truth expressed in the account of a global flood. We're still here because this God, a mighty creator who cares about the suffering of his creation, is on our side, here and now. That's Noah's story. That's Israel's story. We had an honest discussion about whether or not to release this episode. It doesn't feel like a time to be talking about movies. What we're seeing right now all across the world is a flood of grief. Some of us have been at a loss for words. Others have felt frozen, worried that if we start crying, we may never stop. But scripture also reminds us to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. We fail people when we try to interpret and control their grief. We fail people when we tell others how to process their trauma or make it go away. Instead, the body of Christ, which is you and me, must continue to make space for lament, for loss. The church has to be a place to help us manage our pain and move forward. A place to release the hell you've been catching all week, as Malcolm X would say. Our hope in releasing this episode is that it will offer an opportunity to reflect on the balance between justice and mercy, to consider humanity's ability to corrupt, as well as our inexhaustible capacity to redeem what's lost for good. These ideas are everywhere in the story of Noah, and we think they have something to say to us today. We hope you enjoy the episode and keep fighting for what's right until heaven comes to earth. Thanks, everyone.
visionary director Darren Aronofsky had been interested in the story of Noah since his time in the seventh grade. Aronofsky finished his first draft of the script in 2003, but he struggled to adapt the story into a feature-length film. In 2007, Aronofsky explained to The Guardian that he saw Noah as a dark, complicated character who experiences real survivor's guilt after the flood. In 2012, production began, with test screenings beginning in 2013. Paramount fought with Aronofsky over the film's final cut until the studio conceded. Under pressure from Christian religious groups, Paramount Pictures attached this disclaimer to the marketing materials. This film is inspired by the story of Noah. While artistic license has been taken, we believe that this film is true to the essence, values, and integrity of a story that is a cornerstone of faith for millions of people worldwide. The biblical story of Noah can be found in the book of Genesis. That was Noah. And this is Godfellas! Saddle up with McGee and me As we head on an adventure in Odyssey We'll focus on the family with a veggie tail It's the greatest adventure with great detail Godfellas, Godfellas Made it online for a small group time Godfellas, Godfellas Christian media gets a rewind Hello friends, I'm Mr. Zach I'm Mr. Mitch. Welcome to Godfellas, the small group that meets online. And today, ladies and gentlemen, we will be talking about Darren Aronofsky's controversial 2014 film, Noah. But first, ladies and gentlemen, I have some good news for you. He is a writer. He is a director. He is a genius, in my opinion. He is a very kind man. He's a great dad. If you listened to our last Temptation of Christ episode, you heard that he protested that film when it came out. And so when we were talking about another controversial biblical film, we knew that we had to have him back. Chris Monroe! Woo! Wow, thanks, Zach. <laughs> so, uh, Chris, thank you so much for coming back to talk about about Noah. I was interested because, Chris, you used to review movies... I did it on the side for a website. Can I mention them? But yes, yeah. uh, Christian Spotlight. Okay, so what? It's it- part of a uh, website, ChristianAnswers.net. They did a. They do a lot of things, but one of the sections, and it was actually their most popular section, was the spotlight on the movies. They're still around today. I believe so. Yep. Cool. So, so what did the spotlight on the movies entail? Was it just you reviewing movies, or was it you talking about how they related to uh, faith or things like that? It was specifically, I think if I were to boil it down, it's a, sp- a place for pe- uh, Christians to go and say, should I go see this movie or not? Okay. Um, mm. That was part of it. So they would review a lot of movies, pretty much everything within reason that came out would get reviewed. A lot of them were just volunteers sending them. But then they also did another special, they had a partnership with Grace Hill Media. 
mm-hmm. out of Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and they would invite different Christian outlets specifically to movies that Hollywood was producing that they thought might be marketable towards Christian audiences specifically. I was a part of those, which entailed interviews with the directors, the writers, the actors on certain movies, such as, I mean, I could name a few, but the one about Johnny Cash, you know, Walk the Line, right? Oh, when that came out. Nice. So Interesting. Yeah, um, I was going to ask, like, I'm sure the Noah's you're getting called for, but what are the more secular kind of movies that they would call, like, Walk the Line is interesting to me, that they would much think that's more mainstream. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that they, I don't know that they would have done the Noah one just because it was a little bit, but stuff like Raising Helen or things that had like a Christian value or more of a family value, if you will, mm. with that term. <laughs> they did Constantine. I don't know if you remember that movie yeah. with Keanu, Keanu. They did yeah. Constantine, but they <laughs> so wouldn't we, do Noah. I think that's fascinating. <laughs> well, I don't know if they did later on. I don't know. I mm. mean, things changed, but um, I was, it's been a while since I've been a part. I think the last one that I went to was the movie 2012, the last oh, no. that I did was with uh, uh, who was in that John Cusack and I forget mm. the director is uh, anyway Roland I feel like that would be yep. a pain yes. to review because you would just have to dive into eschatology and be like alright here's what the scripture says about that yeah. time here's yeah. to 2012 Chris whenever I get to see something that you have written or directed or been involved with I'm always fascinated in your attention to detail to making sure that everything is biblically sound and accurate Hmm. so I know a lot of people who listen to this show probably would identify as creative people so I'm just curious how would you say that your own personal faith has impacted your creativity I think at this point my conviction is I don't really want to spend too much time on things that aren't uh, spiritually driven, mm. specifically with faith in Christ. So, I mean, those are the best. And what I've found is digging into the Old Testament. A lot of times the Old Testament seems so scary. And I'm thinking the Old Testament is a treasure trove of stories. You know, if you read Shakespeare, you can see he's got he's mm-hmm. taking scripture all over the place. Mm. I'm not just directly quoting it, but the themes and the ideas. So it's such a rich place to go. And I feel like Christians, it's like, oh, the Bible. Yeah. I'm like, (laughs) um, I'm sorry. These are better. I'm sorry. They're going to be better narratives than your Game of Thrones, than your some of these other stories. So I'm thinking, but we kind of ignore it because we think it's, oh, it's just church stuff. It's the Bible stories that, Mm. you know, we, we were bored with from Sunday school. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. At least the final season of Game of Thrones, definitely better than that, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing against those, or just, you know. Yeah, and, and the reason why I wanted to ask is because, you know, we're going to get into this, but, you know, as we mentioned in the opening, the it seems like for Darren Aronofsky, who prior to this had made films like Requiem for a Dream, Pie, Black Swan, Black Swan The Wrestler, films that are not, you know, Christian films, like, you know, obviously not Christian films, but the character of Noah, you know, for him, and, you know, I don't know much about his upbringing, that was a character that he wanted to make a movie about. I mean, it was a very unique experience. He he was, they went to class, I think he was, I think he was like 12 or 13, mm-hmm. and they were asked to just, first thing when they got into English class, sit down, everybody's going to write a poem about peace. Ooh. And so really? that was the okay. subject. So he wrote this poem and he based it off of Noah's, the story of Noah. And this is, I mean, he grew up in Brooklyn, right? So he grew up in Brooklyn, young, you know, Jewish kid. He wrote this poem and then it got, ent- the, the teacher entered it into a contest and he won and he got to go to the UN, the United Nations and read the poem. So I think, and that was the first time he'd ever 
won anything. And so I think that what he said in one of the interviews I saw is that that really like stuck with him and made him think, oh, I could be an actual storyteller. And so that kind of launched his imagination down that road. Were you so able to get your hands a, on the poem or no? He said he found it recently. He says it's not mm. very good, but I think because of the experience he had of writing it and then winning in the UN and being a young kid and the fact that it was on with no, I think it became very personal. That's my thought is that that story then became very personal to him and was always with him. Right. That's interesting. So, yeah. you, I will, I'll say you did much more research than I did. <laughs> well, I'm really fascinated that the prompt was a story of peace and that yeah. he would return with Noah because, because that of isn't... the dove. He tied it into the dove that comes mm. in at the end. And the dove is mm. a symbol of peace. Yeah. Saddle up your horses. Let's saddle up our horses. We have a trail to blaze. <laughs> As we've been talking about, we sat down and we watched Darren Aronofsky's film, Noah. So what did you guys think of this movie? I really enjoy many parts of it, I'll say. There were a lot of scenes that stirred up a sense of awe and wonder in me. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Aronofsky is really concerned with depicting the mythical beauty of creation. And, and, you know, he takes certain liberties to do that. But I think there's a truth he's getting at uh, by doing that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, overall, I, I really enjoy this movie. Are there some areas where I think it has the potential to offend? Absolutely. Are there some areas where it doesn't quite work as a movie and it's a little bit slow and it's a little bit muddied in its in its themes? Yeah, sure. But I would say that like I feel like he is treating this story with uh, a certain reverence or respect at least. When I first saw it, when it first came out, I I kind of didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Me neither. Yeah. Rewatching it, I I appreciate it more. I think there's more to appreciate. Mm. I think because there's such high expectations, it's such a legendary story, right? Mm. Um, there's so many certain expectations that people have on that right. movie, mm. and so if those aren't met, we're kind of like, well, that's not the movie that I wanted to see mm. um, about Noah per se. Right. Um, at that at that level, right? I mean, you're talking like a, a blockbuster film, but there, there's just no way to please everybody. It's not right. gonna <laughs> right. Why do you guys think that um, mainly other believers, because they kind of had the biggest outcry? Why do you think that they were hesitant to uh, embrace this film? Well, I think there's a lot of things. One of one of the first being whenever a movie gets made depicting biblical events, the first question is going to be how true to scripture is it, right? Uh, right. And that that stirs up a lot of debate. Uh, you know, even just like the depiction of the Nephilim and this teasing out like Zohar, which is mentioned in other parts of the Old Testament, but not in this story at all. He's drawing a lot from I think the rabbinical traditions and the midrash. Uh, so for belie- for we say believers like so. You know, like it's just like common parlance for us. <laughs> right. Like, you know, for Christian believers, uh, you know, the expectation is is usually, is this biblical? Right? right. That's like the first question that's often asked. And if liberties are taken, that's going to offend right off out of the gate, I feel like. I think another thing, too, is I, w- I was thinking about this on this rewatch. I think for people who grew up in, in church, and I can only speak as someone who grew up in church, 
The story of Noah when you're a kid is kind of pitched to you as like a fun story about an old guy on a boat with his animals. <laughs> the world was a bad frat party. You know, in the cartoons, they, they're drinking a little too much wine and they're littering <laughs> and, and stuff like that. And then Noah has to go on his boat and they're singing, having a good time. And oh, P.U., can you imagine how those animals smelled? But then yeah. I think for, for some people, when they get older, the story of Noah becomes almost a point of uh, contention. Uh, in their faith, how bad could humanity be that everybody is going to be wiped out? And so I think that, you know, this story of Noah, people haven't seen the story told so bleakly. What risks are taken in this movie and do they pay off? How long is the story of Noah in scripture? A couple chapters? Four a chapters? Chapter, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's, very, it's very short, right? So to fill out a two-hour movie, like we're making characters out of like two volcano and, and things like that. Like they're they're filling in gaps, right? So that alone, I feel like, is a, is a big risk. I'm giving you my raw reaction, right? Yeah. I've thought Great. about this Great. since then. But I was like, wait a minute. Who's this guy that gets on the boat? He sneaks on. He's hiding. Like, right. that's not in the story. You know, there's a lot of things like that. I, and I followed up later about all of the sons actually had wives. There wasn't like right. one that didn't have one. And there's yeah. a lot of things like that. And, you know, filling in the gaps they were putting in there that I thought... I'm like, okay, what's this movie about now? Is it about yeah. now? I don't know what, it, what is this movie? I, I don't, right. I have seen some of his comments and- Aronofsky's comments? Yes. Like yeah. he said he was trying to blend the concept of God balancing justice and mercy instead of it just being God up in the sky kind of thing. Right. It's, mm. it's, it's embodied in Noah. So we were trying to, he was trying to show that struggle that God that he thinks God is having in the person of Noah. Um, right. And that was kind of culminated with, which another thing that, again, my initial reaction was kind of, you know, I was not, I didn't take very well was when he almost kills the baby. Right. 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 And I'm like, wait, what is happening now? What is this? What is this? But I, yeah. I think he was trying, when I heard his explanation, it helped me understand what he was trying to do, which was again, God trying to you know, kill humanity or have mercy. I really resonate with what you're bringing up, Chris, because uh, I was moved a little bit by the way Noah finds out about the flood in the movie is he gets these slightly confusing kind of prophetic dreams, where in the biblical story, it's God just dictates these are the dimensions of the boat you're going to build, right? Right. Uh, so, I think Aronofsky is, is trying to get at maybe... Uh, the not the violent ends but the the acts we will carry out uh, because mm. of the convictions of our faith i mean noah even says it in the movie he's like there's wickedness inside of us like when he says to his wife he goes is there anything that you wouldn't do for your sons like you know good or evil is there anything that you wouldn't do for them the first time I watched the movie, yeah, Noah trying to kill the kids, I was like, I don't like this at all. And upon rewatching it, Hila, uh, Emma Watson's characters become one of my favorite characters in the movie. And one of the things that I love, and this might be me bringing a bit to the table, but I think there's also another side of the coin that says, you know, Noah at this point is kind of so overzealous that he's that he's missing that there's a literal miracle in front of him. That in, mm. you know, in spite mm. of all of this loss and all this tragedy, you know, this woman who's been brought into his family, who they thought, mm. you know, could never conceive and never have children, that now mm. she's about to give birth. But Noah is so, he has just like such bad tunnel vision that he can't see that. And I was like, man, how many times have we seen that happen, you know, mm. to, you know, leaders in 
in the faith and or we've seen it happen to ourselves that we're so focused on on the mm. bad or we're so focused on this or we're so focused on what we think we're supposed to do that we miss the, the little and big miracles around us to your point like this may not be the intent of the filmmaker but i i feel like there is uh maybe an interesting you know meta commentary on just uh the dangers of a of a fundamentalist approach to you know the way you interact with god of how potentially fraught like relying on your your personal experiences and intuition can be when discerning God's will in your life. That's right. that drives him to madness, right? And it made me, you know, very grateful to live in a world where I can test my experiences with God against his word, the teachings of my church. But Noah's kind of just out on the edge of the limb trying to figure out what is it God wants me to do. I have a very clear understanding in this scene and now this baby comes into the mix and I don't know anymore. So I I think there's something there about just the way that we discern God's will in our lives. I I just think that taking the risks, taking creative risks, I think when I go into, into a project, I like to go in with a definite idea and a definite vision. But when I'm dealing with like a biblical story, I don't know these stories inside and out. I don't know them. I like to go in with my eyes open, like still trying to understand it myself, mm. um, having a mm. vision and leading, but also trying to like think about and seeing what develops in the process because the, the process is really where it, and I think sometimes if you have a predetermined idea or that you, you, you've already determined and set how things are going to be, I know that there's some things you have to, but to not leave any room can, can I think can restrict and kind of, you know, limit what you're doing specifically with Bible stories, because they're living stories. They're so Mm. rich that Mm. you can't just say, you know, you have to take, you know, Aronofsky said he's got, he had to take liberties. He had to fill in the gaps. Sure. That's Mm -hmm. like with anything, like with I'm, we're doing Hosea. I'm like, Oh, I have to figure this out. And I realize there's only Mm. like, two chapters of narrative and the rest of the other 12 or 14 <laughs> chapters it's right. all poetry and i'm like okay there's yeah. no story here now i mean in a sense it's like references to history and different things that happen but like the actual narrative of this story what is it i think he had some specific ideas he kind of contradicted himself he one time he said yeah, well right. i just i just want to make entertainment i have to take liberties and i'm like okay i get that but then in another interview, he was like, well, I really wanted to say something about the environment. I like what, you know, the Pope Francis said about, about the earth and stuff, which is great. But he was then saying, I really wanted that point to come across. So I'm like, oh, so you did have an agenda. You weren't just here to entertain. You actually right. had things you were trying to insert within, you know, about environmentalism into the into the, the movie. If you do that too much, I'm just saying it can kind of compromise maybe the... yeah. The, the 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 spirit of the story and i think i don't think he was out to hurt the spirit of the story he says he was trying to t- stay true to it but i mean for me just watching it i thought i feel like you're putting too many things in that i would i mean every director is going to put in their own thing they're going right. to interpret mm-hmm. it through their lens through their worldview through their whatever I totally agree with you there. I, there were some of the themes that I actually didn't mind. Like the environmental thing, I think that can be drawn you, you can draw that conclusion from scripture if you want to if you want to do that that's fine. Right. I think where I was confused was like there were other themes that maybe contradicted that, like the film depicts cities as epicenters of evil and wickedness. Right. Which is a sort of conservative idea, uh, which I think his intent was to show like the detrimental effects of technology, right? How it's mm. robbed us of, you know, the, the world God gave us. But right. 
it ends up reinforcing, I feel like, harmful stereotypes about urban life versus, you know, mm. pastoral living, rural living. It feels like he's progressive in some areas, I guess is what I'm getting at. And then uh, very critical of <laughs> progressives and other, which is fine. There's even some strange gender stuff, I feel like, in this movie of mm. like, to be a man, you have to have a wife, you have to have sex. That doesn't bother me in the context of, you know, like thousands and thousands of years ago, you know, not, not at all. But it just felt like sometimes the movie was living in 20 whatever the year was 14 13 and sometimes it was living in several thousand bce right. and i'm like which where are we i and, that i think that's my confusion where are we the big thing i remember when i saw the movie more so than anything else the big outcry was the nephilim or the the rock transformers as they were being called right. um <laughs> how did how did you guys feel about that aspect of the film when I first saw that, I wasn't familiar with that concept. Right. And I was like, what the heck is this? This is not, <laughs> these are not the animals getting on the boat. And wh- what are they doing? You know, rewatching it, um, I was telling Evie, and then somebody else commented, it reminded me of the ants in, uh, yes, very in, much uh, so. Lord yes, of the Rings. Yes. And then, then they also made, called it the Transformers, the Rock Transformers. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, if I went back, I've been reading the book of, of Enoch. Mm-hmm. Uh, which takes place right... He was the grandfather of Noah. Yes. So, this takes Father place, of Methuselah, played wonderfully by Anthony Hopkins in yes. the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you read the book of Enoch, which a lot of the you know early church and you know people knew that story, they knew that book, book one specifically of Enoch. If you read that, you will see specifically what... Because the thing about the Noah story for me is, I'm like, okay, what... Uh, people were bad. God was grieved that he had made man. Now he's going to mm-hmm. destroy it. It's like, Okay, I guess that's it's it's bad. It's not just that it was bad. And Aronofsky says, you know, oh, you know, we're all sinfulness and that. But in this text, it specifically says that it was so great. It wasn't just Mm -hmm. bad. It was extremely. It was an, an an extreme. And then when you read the Book of Enoch, you'll see details about what was happening about Mm -hmm. the angels and the men, and they created the you know. So it's you know mating with the the daughters of men and this whole thing. You can really see more detail of why the mm. Lord was just going to wipe everything out. Right. So I think that's a great reference. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's, of course, it talks about the watchers in that book. And so I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, and so when rewatching it, I'm like, okay, yep, that's, that makes yeah. sense. You talked about the risks that he's taking, right? The right. biblical story, we've mentioned how short it is. It's sparse language about right. the punishment itself, right? It's it's not a ton of detail. Aronofsky's giving us gratuitous detail. We're seeing lambs being ripped apart by people in midair, right? Like, oh, it's, yeah. it's horrific. But when audiences go to see this, there is an expectation. And, and I think this is just like a, a result of like the way we tell these stories in the West. We want a heroic version of these biblical characters. We want some sort of arc of good and evil and and redemption and that's not just confined to you know the way we tell bible stories that's the way we want all stories right right the the nephilim fulfill that right in a way like aronofsky's got his target set on noah i'm gonna make him go mad i'm gonna make him go through the ringer right like he's like this story's like job in some ways right so we we needed characters who we could see some sort of like you know positive arc and that's that's what they get to do they get to be the sunday school vignette i think my big problem is it's just silly like they they look look very goofy they're poorly yeah they're poorly designed it's it's like poorly 
voice acted to go home to the creator. Like Nick it's Nolte. just poorly executed. Mm-hmm. I think I would have I would have liked it if it were just executed yeah. well. You know, right? This, that's right. what we say about a lot of movies on this show. Like, do what you want with the source material. Just do it well. Right. You know, right. and then I'll engage mm. with what you're trying to say. So the the big question is at, after rewatching Noah. I wanted to watch it again, and not because I had a rip-roaring good time and I wanted seconds, but I wanted to kind of, like, dive in, and I wanted to kind of, pay, like, lean in a little bit more, Mm. and my thought was, you know, like a lot of movies that I that I really love, you know, like your ghost stories and your weird A24 lighthouse movies like that. Those are movies that I love, but movies that I say are not for anyone. They're are not for everyone. They're kind of for a specific audience that wants sure. to dive in and go deep. And I think that there's kind of a conception with Christian movies. They've started to gear more towards like, well, even if you're not a Christian, you know, Woodlawn is a football movie or Courageous, they're police officers. So you can <laughs> still come and get a good message out of this movie and and, you know, like, enjoy yourself and enjoy it as a movie. So I guess my question to you is, do you think that faith-based content should be targeted towards the masses? Or can we have, or do you think that movies like this, which are more for specific audiences, are appropriate? Should Christian movies be for everyone? In my opinion, it just comes down to just tell stories. Mm. You know, I oh. think people are going to see what they bring. I, be- mm-hmm. I, be- I believe in that. And... You know, you can tell this, it's just like stories from the Old Testament when this theophany appears to Abraham and it's like, oh, that's the Lord. Well, one person's going to see that and somebody else is not. You know, is it in the text? It's not in the text that it was Jesus in the fire with the three, you know, Hebrew youth. Right. But other people go, no, it's Jesus. You know, it's not in the text. So it it's kind of you... Just tell the story well, and people are going to have the experience that they're going to have. I think making it, we're specifically making this evangelistic so that we can reach people. I think, yeah, that's a good hope, but, um, and that is something that I want people to be, I want people to be provoked spiritually when they see something. Yeah. Um, where that go, you know, how that goes, I, you know, we're not the master and commander of their, of their faith ship. You know, they, it's their journey. So if I can contribute to what I believe right. in, a, in, a, in a good way, then great. But I can't dictate it to anybody. Right. I love the way you're framing that. Uh, the word provoked, to me, it's it's very much uh, it's it's a head versus heart thing. And I'm not saying that we're not trying to reach people intellectually, but mm-hmm. when when Christians make you know films with the with the intent of evangelizing, you know, you, typically in a writing class, we would say like we're trying to not be didactic in our art, right? Because it when we are preaching and when we are trying to get an an agenda across uh, it tends to come up short right but movies that can provoke us and stir up thought uh like it's more of an implicit morality right than an explicit morality it's something that like just like it courses through your veins it's in the blood it's not it's not something that i feel like uh can just be spoken through a megaphone and expect it to really you know resonate and linger with people Right. I'm also a big believer in the phrase that a well-told story teaches its own lesson. Mm. So I'm always like, how can I tell the story well? How can I find? How can I look at the details of the story 
if it's only three chapters, <clears throat> if it's only one, if it's only or whatever it is, how can I be faithful to what I do know, be open to what I can learn in the journey of producing something and telling a story. And after that, I don't have <laughs> my job is done. <laughs> I think the movie, there's even a line from Methuselah where he says, you must trust that he speaks in a way that you can understand. And I would say mm. that, you know, that goes for sometimes the movies that we watch also. You know, I've, I've talked about many times a ghost story, you know, my favorite movie. Mm. I'm pretty sure the director's intent wasn't for me to, you know, love God more at the end of the movie. And mm. that's exactly what happened. You know, I felt, mm. you know, closer to God. I felt more comfort in, you know, knowing that he's, you know, a loving, caring father. Was that the director's intent? Probably not, but I can take that from the movie and that's and that's okay. And, you know, Chris, I love how you said just tell stories because it's interesting. Noah came out the same time God's Not Dead came out. And, mm -hmm. you know, we talked about God's Not Dead last week. That is a movie with essentially where the characters are all one note and paper thin and they're just there to kind of push an agenda and to push a message. And Noah is a character-based story about, you know, a guy who, <laughs> like like they said, you know, you see the survivor's guilt and you see that, you know, he is overzealous in a lot of ways. It's a character-driven story about Noah. And those movies tend to be more interesting to me in general. Movies that are about characters and, you know, movies that have messages like, yeah, you want your movie to say something good. But at the end of the day, I would rather, you know, I don't want that message told to me. I want to arrive at my own conclusion based on how the story is told. I do have to say this at some point, but I'll say it now, is he's an artist. Yes, he's, he a, he's, a, he's an artist, and it's an art film. Right. Mm -hmm. Does an art film work for this story? I don't know. I, I think there was definitely people had a lot of problems with a lot of different things that we've kind of talked about and touched on. But I think as an artist... There's so much to appreciate. I mean, the, the, the flashback of Cain and Abel fighting and then Adam and Eve and the, the Garden, of Eden, mm. Garden of Eden. I mean, it's beautiful. Well, folks, it's about that time where we're going to use our manners. Just like when the older lady at church baked cookies for the youth group. When I offer you some more of Darren Aronofsky's Noah, you're going to give me a yes, please, or a no, thank you. So, Mitch, I've got some cookies for you. Would you like them? <laughs> uh, yeah, I always like cookies. Uh, all right, couple couple levels. Why I want the cookies. Uh, artistically, like let's leave the, the faith part out of it for a second. We've mentioned that the story is muddy. Like, there's like a whole part I didn't even get bring up in this episode of like the film's representation of race uh, is incredibly it's challenging for me. Like, it's non-existent. <laughs> they tried to sidestep it. There's some problems. There's some there's some gender problems. There's some race problems. Uh, the way he's telling that there's four or five stories he's trying to tell, and we've kind of hit on that several times. I think as a believer. I think your view of scripture is going to inform your response to a movie like this. So, you know, whether whether or not, you know, you're, you're coming expecting, you know, a, a, a historical account. Actually, I guess it would be an historical account if you want to be pretentious uh, versus, you know, uh, the way I would view this story as being, you know, a myth, uh, a biblical myth, right? It's poetry and it's, it's uh, you know, the flood myth is, is really common in lots of cultures. Uh, so... I guess that, that just informs 
the way I view um, Aronofsky's uh, license and the leash he's allowed to have to make changes. I think if you uh, have a, a close reading of scripture uh, and you view, the, view this as straight history, then all of these changes are going to be inherently offensive, right? Uh, so I will say that watching this movie, it helped me when I've engaged with the Noah story in the past. It's that my focus is, has been, and I'm saying as an adult, not as a kid, because you right, rightfully brought up like as a kid, I'm thinking about the animals. As an adult, it's hard for me not to focus on, uh, you know, this is a story about, like, damning the wicked many. Uh, and this depiction, I guess, helped me to... I felt like I didn't have to twist myself into knots to see this is also about saving, you know, uh, what is worthy of being saved. Uh, and there was a beauty in that story, I guess. Uh, so... Yeah, I mean, give me more of this. I I appreciate his perspective on it. Is it messy? Yeah. You know, I mean, go look at the Midrash and the way we talk about Noah, you know, or at least our, our Jewish brothers and sisters. Uh, it, we have a messy uh, response to this story because it's challenging. You know, you know, my view of scripture, too, is like uh, it's an evolving uh, story, right? The, it reflects the morality of of Moses' time, right? Which is very different from, like, the morality in the New Testament uh, that Paul was writing. So, uh, it's it's a challenging text, I think, uh, for anyone, you know, even someone with, like, a really rich theological training. Um, but I think he, he does a good job of uh, treating the issues seriously, fleshing out some things that, uh, that are, you know, at the heart of the story. Uh, so yeah, give me those cookies. Uh, I'll eat them, even if maybe there's some nuts in them. Chris, would you like some? Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> um, I Again, I, I like... I've seen, you know, several of his other films. The Wrestler, I thought was great. He's such... He is a good storyteller. He's a great artist, visually. I mean, The Fountain has got some amazing stuff in there. I think because, and I say this not because, oh, this is my Bible story and you messed it up. Um, you know, maybe a twinge of that, but I don't think I would, because of what I do, I don't think that I'm, I would automatically just be angry, you know, at him for, for doing this and call him a blasphemer and things like that. I, I just, I think he did the film that he wanted to do about this story. And I think he had to work with the studios and they had to compromise and, you know, make it work on whatever their criteria was. I just, I think it was too, there was too, I didn't connect with any of the characters. And I, it's, I, overall, it was kind of, I know it's this great epic story. I kind of got, I'm kind of bored. Visually, I mean, again, the, 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 the things that he did with Adam and Eve and all that stuff, I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm there. I'm into it. I love that. It's just amazing to watch. But when you would go to the straight up story, to me, the story is the most important thing. So, if I'm not into the story, those things are nice and I love them and I will always value them. But I just kind of like, well, you're, I don't know what you're doing here. Well, I guess it all comes down to me to see if Ethel's going to bring us more cookies in the future. And, uh, I will say for me personally, I'm, I'm going with a, with a yes, please. I think because while the movie has issues and while the movie is far from perfect, I like to see, artists take risks and I like to see artists swing for the fences and as I'm discovering with more and more Christian media there's a lot of playing it safe and there's a lot 
of, um, you know, people doing, you know, what they're being told to, to do from a filmmaking standpoint. And so I think that, you know, maybe Noah doesn't quite do it, but I like to think about maybe the youth group kid who sees Noah and, you know, maybe 15 years later we get a really great biblical story that's in that tone. So I think, you know, we can kind of look back on Last Temptation of Christ and see how maybe, you know, that set up um, a way for some of these other Christian movies to be a little bit different, a little more out there. I think that I'm hoping that Noah does something like that. I think that there's good things in there. I think there's bad things in there. But overall, I think that the potential influence of this movie leaves me feeling like I want more. So, folks, in conclusion, this movie might not be for you, but read the story of Noah again and maybe read the book of Enoch and then maybe watch Noah again. See how you feel. Also let us know if you have head over to the real boys on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, leave us a like, leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. And also make sure that if you are on iTunes or wherever else that you leave us a five-star rating and review. Thank you so much, Chris, for, for joining us, for coming on the show. Uh, Where can people find uh, what you're doing once quarantine is over? Oh, good question. Right now, though, they could go to International Shakespeare Players uh, on Instagram. There's a Facebook page that people who like Shakespeare can join. We have been doing full readings of Shakespeare plays on Thursday evenings and Saturday evenings at 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. So if people have an interest in that, they can either join and view or maybe if they're interested in potentially reading, if they're an actor, uh, they can do that as well. Awesome. Again, Chris, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for your insight. We're going to do something a little bit different for our closing on this episode. We're going to end by playing the song Mercy by the Brilliance. And the chorus says, every soul is searching for you. Won't you save us? Grant us peace. We thought that that was a very appropriate song right now as so many are crying out for peace. So let's take this time and let's see one another, let's hear one another, and let's love one another. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. When I think of God's great love I think of Noah's time When love was not enough And man was forced to die This God, he sent the flood To kill the race despised Children swept away. I hear a mother's cry.
Thank you.